Welcome everybody this morning. It's good to have you here. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Let's ask the Lord for his word this morning that he may speak to our hearts and speaks to our lives. If you're here for the first time, welcome. And um, if you come and that the Lord's brought you here, it's because God is wanting to speak to you. And you're here because God has a message for you specifically. Not a day goes by, not, not a minute goes by without God using that to draw you to Him. And if you happen to be here this morning seated, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, has something for you. And if you come with an open heart, He will speak to you. Even if your heart is a little bit hardened, He's able to break that for you. So you can come before Him believing that God is good this morning. Father in heaven, I pray for every head and heart bowed before you, Lord. I pray this morning, Lord God, also that your word may go out to everyone in this room, that it doesn't come back empty. It does, it, it does what it needs to do in the hearts and lives and the minds of everyone that is seated, Lord God. Father, your word is a two-edged sword, sharper, Lord God, than any sword. And Father, you are able to cut through our life, speak to our heart, and that you may do that intimately, Lord God. You may do that personally, because you know us. And I give you thanks and praise for this morning. Cast the devil out from this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you this morning from the book of Revelations. I wish I could do a whole study on the book of Revelations, but I can't. I'm a bit anxious if God ever put it on my heart to do a study on the book of Revelation because I don't think I could and I don't know how or where I think I'd do it injustice. Um, I don't think I'm competent enough. But I will speak to you this morning from the book of Revelation chapter 2 regarding one special church, one specific church called the church in Ephesus. And I want to talk to you this morning about this church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm also a bit anxious if God says I want you to do a study on all the seven churches because I don't think I could. <laughs> but I'm going to give it a go with this uh, church in Ephesus in chapter 2 verse 1. Let me read this for you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Listen to what Jesus says to this church. Verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do 
the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we can, we can stop there. You will notice that I read the uh, English Standard Version. You guys in the church, you have the New King James that's being given to you, or you might have a different version. I generally like to either look at the English Standard Version or the King James Version. So, so if, I, if I go through some of the scriptures that I go through this morning with you, it's going to be a play with e- the ESV or the King James, okay? Just so that you know. But generally, it's the same message. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, it's not different. So um, when I first got married with my wife and we started our relationship within the first year or so, um, at the early stages, we had this song that would play that would, it was like, you know, it was our song, you know. Um, it wasn't the song pre-marriage, it was the song post-marriage. It's the song that we would often sing. It's, and it went, the, I can't remember who the artist was now. I was trying to find it and I can't recall. But the song went, we've got a good thing going and we've got to protect it. They say people lose it when they least expect it, baby. I know it's true but I don't worry about us. So that was occasionally the, the song that we would say and sing to each other. We've got a good thing going. We've got to protect it. They say people lose it when they least expect it. And I know it's true, but I don't worry about us. And like marriage, um, you can have a honeymoon and you can kind of feel very uh, warm and affectionate toward each other in the very stages, uh, the early stages of marriage. And you go on a honeymoon, and some honeymoons last for a week, some honeymoons last for months, some honeymoons last for a year, and maybe some of you are in, in the honeymoon right now, and over two years, and that's fantastic. I mean, the longer the honeymoon, the better, you know? Like if you're feeling like you're still in your honeymoon after 10 years, good on you, right? But I think generally, um, people's honeymoon uh, don't go on forever, and, uh, and if your honeymoon does go on forever, um, that's quite unique. <laughs> but there's got to be a place where a honeymoon has to stop being a honeymoon, and there's got to be a place where relationship has to start being worked on. You know, like it doesn't just expect to be a honeymoon. You, you've got to work on it. And this is the problem when it comes to church, uh, church or, or, or salvation, that as soon as you're telling someone, listen, you've got to work on your relationship with God, that not everything's a honeymoon always. Like when you first became a Christian, you were so excited and so zealous, and you expect, if you think that that's what it's going to be for the rest of your Christian walk, well, that's a bit odd. You've got to work on it. You've got to keep it alive. You've got to keep it growing. And as soon as you encourage people to do that, there's this force against it saying, well, that sounds like a work salvation for me. Like that, what do you mean I've got to work on? Well, just naturally, any relationship, you've got to keep a good thing going. And if you don't keep a good thing going, what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. Now, the church in Ephesus is one of seven churches in um, Asia Minor back then. And it was a good church. It was a good church. If you look at the seven churches, there was probably a balance of good and bad churches, you know. Um, And and the church of Ephesus would have probably been that kind of above average church, you know, actually pretty close to being a good church. But there was something that was wrong about it. That Jesus, in all his holiness and in all his goodness, found a problem with this church. 
Now, it's good for us to look carefully at this and study this as a church so that we can judge and measure ourselves with the Word of God, not measure ourselves with other churches. If you measure yourself with other churches, we are most miserable. You understand? We've got to measure our standard of, of life as Christians with the Word of God. Because before the holy eyes of God, even the angels are unclean before Him. So you have to understand this. The purity of God in the kingdom of heaven, there is no shades of grey. It is pure and white and light. There is no filth at all. At the single thought, the devil was cast out from the kingdom. At a single thought of making himself higher than God, he was cast out like lightning, quick and fast immediately. Because in the kingdom of heaven, it is pure. So when we look at our lives and we look at it as a church, we want to measure ourselves with the Word of God. And the church of Ephesus is a good place. It's a, it's a good place to look at, especially in your own lives. Because I don't think that the church of God is ANCF, All Nation Christian Fellowship. And I don't think the church of God is a particular denomination. You know, Unless you're in this denomination, you're, you're, you're okay. The church of God is made up of individual peoples in this place right now. And it's made up of individual peoples in other churches and other denominations. That's the church of God. So I'm not talking about all nations Christian fellowship. I'm talking about the individual who is sitting right here, right now, who is part of God's church. That would look at this chapter and doesn't look at the church, but looks at themselves and says, Am I like this church? Am I like this church? So let's have a look at this passage here in Revelations. And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who talks about Jesus, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks see see Jesus walks in the midst of his church he is involved as part of the gather, gathering of the believers he's, he's, he's walking in the, he's, he's not a God that is separate and outside those who are his people his congregation his holy hill and he walks in the midst of them meaning that he is very very much involved and very intimate with them He's at the, at, the, at the core, at the center of everything that they do. That's Jesus Christ. He knows you intimately. That's why when, I think, if you were to, 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 to kind of describe the intimacy or the involvement that Jesus has with his church, you find it in Luke where he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. In Matthew as well, that the very hairs of your head are numbered. I don't think there's a far more intimate or, or, or close example of this uh, God dwelling in the midst of his people. Your hairs are numbered. I found that fascinating. Like why God would use that kind of description. And I started to think about here's time to Google. How many hairs on our head? 100,000 on average. Then I started to Google, how many hairs do we lose a day? Anyone? Bald men would know. Okay. <laughs> a 
60 to 100 hair strands a day. 60 to 100 hair strands a day. I thought, wow, that 62 wouldn't be long before you go bald. But then what happens is hairs are replaced and they're replenished. And it takes about two to six years for a lifetime for a strand. And every two to six years, there's a, there's a regrowth. And if that doesn't happen, that's what we call baldness. But if it happens, there's a regrowth. God is consistently involved in you. He's consistently knowing every single thing that you do. If he knows every hair that is numbered on my head, I don't think it's an exaggeration. I think that's the truth. That's the brilliance of God being all-knowing. Then he must know that every single time I wake up and every single time I get old, he must know that. That's why he says his mercies are new every morning. That's our God. And he walks in the midst of his church and he knows every single thing you do. He knows everything you think. He knows how you live, how you behave. He knows what's good. He knows what's bad. He knows your strength. He knows your weakness. And that's the beauty of when you read the, the, these churches that God, Jesus Christ, is speaking to. He speaks of their value and their strength. And then he speaks of their, their weaknesses and what needs to be fixed because he's a good God. He's a good father. If you only praise the man, that man never learns. But if you pick up the weight of where it's lacking and you say, this is what it's got to be, that's a good, good God. And that's what he does with the Ephesus church. This is what he says to them. He says this, I know your works. This is the King James. And I, I know thy labor and your patience. Your works, your labor, and your patience. I know them. And how you can't bear them which are evil. In your heart, you get so upset. You get so angry when there's false teaching, when there's, so, there's false doctrines, where there's carnality. You get so burnt up. I know that. I could see that in you. This is what he's saying to the church. And I know how you have tried them which say they are apostles. I know that you kind of stand against Christians who call themselves Christians, but they're not. And you get upset by them. You get upset that they turn the purity and righteousness of Jesus Christ into nothing, into vanity. I know that's how you are and I know that's how you feel. So you're ready, you kind of get this kind of a, a conviction. You think, well, I don't really care. I don't really care much as long as I've got my own Christian walk and as I've got my own Christian understanding and I'll just keep that to myself. But the church, the church of God, the true church of God, they get, they get, they get burnt up. When there's compromise in the church, when there's compromise with God's word, when there's compromise in their own heart, they get burnt up. They can't dwell with sin in their own life. And they're patiently enduring. And they're working hard to overcome sin. And they're fighting. Not because it's a work salvation, but because there's a fire of God in their heart that they can't do any other thing than to be moved by it. That's what happens. He goes, I know all that. I know your labor, your patience. And you've tried them who say that they are apostles or they are Christian and they follow, but they're not. And you found them out to be liars. And, and he goes on, listen, and he goes on and he repeats it again in verse 3. He says the same thing in verse 3. He says, and you have borne and you've been patient and for my name's sake you have labored. The three words again. 
He says it again. He goes, look, I know. And you have not fainted. You haven't given up. How good is this church? You haven't grown weary. How good is this church? So he goes, listen, I know this. I know. I know that you work hard. You love me and you serve me and you do the works that you should be doing. I know this. And you don't like compromise. He goes, but listen. In verse 4, he says, but nevertheless, I need you to be perfect. Because I'm a perfect God. Be ye holy as your heavenly Father is holy. He goes, nevertheless, I have something against you. This, this thing that I have against you. Listen. You have left your first love. What does that mean? You've left your first love. The honeymoon season is over. And I don't want the honeymoon to finish. Like I'm sure if you speak to the wives, you know, if the, hu- the husband turned around and said to his wife, hey honey mate, the honeymoon's over. Finished. I'm sure the wife will turn around and go, but honey, I don't want the honeymoon to finish. I want you to love me. And I'm sharing this just as much for me than for you. Like God in heaven saying, I don't want you to stop loving me. I know you're doing good stuff, you know. But I need your love to be what it should be. And I need to go back to the first love when you first fell in love with me. What does it look like when you're not falling in love anymore? What does that look like? I've got a few points here that I want you to contemplate and consider. Here's like some symptoms, if you like, what you would look at and diagnose as someone who's uh, fallen, not out of love, but not in love anymore. Their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit has been numbed. You know, like when, when you first became a Christian, everything was so glorious and glowing, bright and clean. And you wanted everything to stay pure and clean. And, and any little hindrance, a speck of dirt or dust, you just, you just washed it. Because it was just a clean jacket you got, you know. And then over time, what happens? Over time, that, that, that stain, you know, you're washing it here and it gets brown and then it gets a little bit more brown and then all of a it's not clean and, and, and pure anymore. It's like this an off-white. God says, I don't want the off-white. I want, you to, I want you to go back. I want you to go back, take the jacket off, put it in the washing machine, wash it, and let's start again. You need to go back to being sensitive to the Holy Spirit where that little speck of sin was just as black as the murderer. I, I want you to go back to that. It's like when you go to the, a petrol station and you go buy something and, and, and you, you overpay. Uh, the guy uh, uh, returns five cents extra than you should have. Five cents and when you first became a Christian, you know, you, you thought, oh, I walked out with five cents. I stole five cents. I ripped off th- this, this business, five cents. And I know what, what your testimony is, is like you think, man, I can't take this five cents. 
It doesn't belong to me. And you go back and you say, hey, <laughs> you get five cents. Have you been in an awkward situation when you have to kind of return like something so small like that? And the delay this is quite, is quite embarrassing. Like you're trying to tell the person, listen, um, you've given me five cents. He goes, what? I gave, you, I, you took five cents. No, 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 you've given me. What, what do you mean? And you go through the whole calculations. And then they discover in the end that you're telling them that you want to give them back five cents. And they're going, okay. Weird. Thanks, mate. And But you felt like you had to. Because that's the Spirit of God. Like Whether it's, it's five cents or whether it's a hundred bucks, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to them. You understand? That's the, but then you get, become a Christian, you think, oh, five cents. What's five cents? What's ten cents? What's? So you lose the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit that speaks to you quietly. It whispers. It's not loud. And it says, what about this? What about that? And you lose the first love when you say, well, that's not important anymore. It's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. You lose your sensitivity. God's word is no longer new. Well, because you've heard it before. You've heard it before. Oh, no, I know this. I know this chapter. I know, I know that story. Like, oh, I know that, that doctrine. I've heard it before. God's word is no longer new, although the Bible calls it an everlasting spring of water. It's always refreshing when you, and you know when you read the Bible, it comes back to you, and it comes back to you like it's a new thing. It's like the first time you've heard it. But that kind of fades out. It's, it's, you've lost your first love. I've heard this before. I know everything. And it's not about knowing. It's about experiencing and living. And God's Word doesn't matter anymore as much as it used to. Like it used to be like a syrup syrup from the lips of God that was so sweet to your, to your, to your belly, then it becomes like this, it's not, as, it's not as gentle and as sweet, it becomes hard of hearing, it becomes like a burden to listen to, which obviously affects your enthusiasm to attend fellowship, your zeal to be among brothers and sisters in the church. You, shr- you, you drag your feet to just, to, just to get to church or to get to a Bible study. And then the absence, the absence of your presence in the fellowship is a testament of whether you're in love with Jesus or not. You know that? One Sunday on, one Sunday off. One Sunday on, one Sunday off. Two Sundays off, one Sunday on. Three Sundays off, two Sundays on. Five Sundays off, one Sunday on. And it's this game like that. But you don't get it. You see, you don't get it. Because if I was on my honeymoon with my wife and I told my wife, listen, I'm going to go to the pub, you stay here. And she goes, oh, no worries, honey, you need your time because we're in love and you've got to have your time. And she, I go to the pub and I come back the, the next day and I say, honey, I want to go back to the pub again. I met a few guys and my, my wife goes, oh, awesome, honey. Yeah, you go off. I want you to have a good time on your honeymoon. And if I did that, what am I communicating to my wife? But I was with you last night, honey. And my wife says, I want you every night. And I want you to want me every night. 
And the husband says, but I want my time. Really? My whole time is yours, honey. What would you rather in a relationship? When your wife says, I want my time, or when your wife says, I want our time, always, forever. See, I know that's pretty hard to understand, you know, because by nature we're quite selfish and carnal. But when we're giving ourselves over to someone else and they've given themselves over to us, our time, my time, it doesn't exist. It's just this time. It's just this time. And it's the same relationship we have with the God Almighty who is our groom and we are his bride. And the religiousness, self-righteousness says, well, I went to church five times in a row. I think I deserve a bit of a break. You don't judge love like this. That's not the criteria of showing how much you love. Love is a compulsion. You're compelled. You don't sit in, at home thinking, should I go to church? You're actually woken up to go to church because you're driven by love. This is where you need to go back and find that love. And it's also going to impact your service to the Lord. See, these guys here, they worked hard and they were patient and they labored hard. But I think what they lacked was enthusiasm. Their service became lacking. It was not infused. So they'd get up, they'd sing their songs, or they'd get up and they'd preach their sermons. But it was without, without enthusiasm. No real zest. Or they serve in the church, they're ushers at the front, and then, oh, God, I'd be an usher now. <laughs> or they've got to vacuum the, oh, got to vacuum. No real zest, like they did when they first started. Tell me, I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? Clean the, scrub the, I'll scrub the toilets. So were they doing things? Of course they were doing things. They were laboring hard. Was it heavy weight? Yeah, it was heavy weight. But there was something missing. Now in the end, you need to understand this. Something was missing. And I reckon it could be summed up this whole chapter if you don't understand it. And you're trying, what is this first love? What is this first love? If I was to paraphrase this, I would say that you have lost your passion. That's what you've lost. You've lost the passion. You've lost your passion. Now, why would they have lost their passion? Because I reckon this is what would have happened. Just a thought, right? And I'm sure there's other things, but I reckon this is a, a pretty strong thought. What would have happened is the Ephesus at that time was a pretty uh, strong uh, city. And um, they had in that city the temple of Diana, who was a goddess, who a lot of the people at that city worshipped. And when, when you have a city that has this temple as the main point in the city, it impacts society. It, it moves, that religion moves its way into the marketplace, you know. People start selling certain things that are connected to that. Whether whatever religiousness or whatever superstition, whatever, it starts moving its way into the city and into the culture of the people. And then the Christians, at one particular point, have to decide whether they continue to serve and do according to the ways of Christianity or somehow compromise according to the way of the city, and they had an amphitheater there, they had stadium, they had markets, and it was like a robust, like growing city. Lots of entertainment, 
And we're Christians, surely we can do these things and do what they do. We have to live, don't we? Well, yeah, yeah, you do, but listen, who do you love? And when you start having other things creeping into your heart and you start loving other things in, in, in more, well, not even more, just loving, sharing that love, what's going to happen? And that's what I reckon was happening with the church of Ephesus. They were loving God, serving God, doing what God wants, laboring hard, didn't like carnality, didn't like compromising, but there was a love that was starting to be uh, uh, divided in their heart with the world, with comfort, and it was impacting them. That's what it was happening. It was impacting them. Listen, brothers and sisters, God is telling the church, I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with this. I don't care how much you do. I don't care how, how hard you work. I don't care how, how much you labor. I mean, it's, that's great. But I want love in its purest form. Because that's all I am. I'm love. I want love. And I want you to love me. Love me undivided. Love me without any distraction. Love me in all its purity and all its, all its characteristics. Love me with passion. That's what he's saying to them. And this was not good enough for God. And he warns them. He warns them. Now God doesn't warn them because he's, he's a tyrant. He warns them because by default, when you don't come to the standard of this love, naturally, you're going to slide. You're going to slip. And he's picking them up. He's saying, quickly, listen, I'm telling you this. Because you're, you're a candle in the wind. And the wind is going to blow you out. This is the warning. That's the warning. It's not like God's going to cast you out. By default, you're going to be cast out. For two reasons. I'll tell you what the two reasons are. One, if you don't go back to this place of passion, you're going to slip and slide to where you can't stand anymore. You need this first love because when you go back to this first love, when the heat comes, it's this first love that's going to keep you standing. That's what he's saying to them. When tribulation comes, because it's the book of Revelation, it's, it's concerning the end days, he's saying these people who've lost their first love are not going to stand. And he's warning them, lest the candle be removed. That's what he says. And then secondly, the reason is, is that if you're not going back to the first love, your light isn't as bright and it's dim. And if it's dim, it's not going to be effective. I'll give you an example. Doing the renovations at my house, we're getting lights in the ensuite. The purpose of the light in the ensuite is to switch on the light so that I can see the clothes and not wake up my wife in the bedroom. Now, if those lights are dim, too dim, that I can't see the clothes in the bedroom, what are you going to want me to do with my lights? I'm going to need to remove them. Is that right? Because they're not doing it, they're not, they're not effective, it's purposeless. So I remove them. This is the warning here to the church in Ephesus. You need to go back to your first love. Because then it's ineffective. You need to go back to the passion. Because it's ineffective. You can't love me other than the love I have for you. And my love I have for you is all-consuming. It's a fire. It burns you. This is what he says. 
There's a man by the name of um, Ludwig Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf Ludwig, who's the great leader of the Protestant faith. He did great work for the Church of God. And he says this, I have but one passion. It is he and he only. I looked up the word passion in the Urban Dictionary. The Urban Dictionary. Passion is when you put more energy into something than it is required to do. It is more than just enthusiasm or excitement. Passion is ambition that is materialized into action to put as much heart, mind, body and soul into something as is possible. This is what I believe Jesus Christ is telling the church in Ephesus. You need to go to this. Now listen. In verse 5, he says this. And I think this is quite important and quite significant. He says this. Remember therefore from whence you art fallen. Now, I've, I've looked at this verse. I'm, I'm like, what, is he, what does he mean? Remember where you had fallen. And repent and do the first works or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place except you repent. Remember when you are fallen. Now some of us, when we, we read this passage, we go back and we say, Lord, where, where, where did I go wrong? Because I'm trying to remember where I had fallen. Where did I go wrong? What did I do that, that got me here? But the actual scripture isn't asking you to do that. What the scripture is actually asking you to do, and I think the NIV, and there's another version, I think the ESV says it nicely. It says, consider how far you have fallen. So that makes it, that makes it a little bit more clear for me. What he's actually asking you to do is this. is look at where you are now, brothers and sisters. Look where you are now. That's all you need to do. Look at where you are now. And where you are now, is it where you were the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ? That's the advice that Jesus Christ is giving his church. Where you are now, is it where you were when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? That's a good measurement. Are you enthused, passionate, in love with Jesus Christ the way you were when you gave your heart to Jesus? And this is the call to repent if it's not. It's not, it's not that it's impossible. It's actually quite comforting that if God is saying to me, I need to get back to where I am because I'm not there right now. Thank you, Lord, because I know I can do this. I know that you've spoken, therefore you give me the power to perform. So if you could sit there in your chair and you say, I'm not where I used to be, then I reckon the church of Ephesus is, is a picture, it's talking to you. Are you slack about your fellowship? 
Are you slack about your, your energy, your, your passion for the things of God? Are you in love with him or has the, the world of Ephesus and all its material gain and, and pleasures and leisures and everything, have they kind of moved in, crept in and divided your heart between loves? And therefore the, your zeal and your enthusiasm to know God, love God, serve God, get to know every part of God is somehow lost. And if you sit there in your chair saying, no, I'm pretty much solid. I'm pretty much like, I'm the same person I was when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Then praise God, be encouraged. Because if you want to measure anywhere among, among in, the, in the Bible, look at the churches. And don't be found in any one of them who is not faithful. And they, the church of Ephesus is a pretty good church. And if you can say, I have kept my first love, then that's all you need to worry about. There was one, one uh, minister, uh, uh, an evangelist, who was fascinated by this man. Who's, um, it was an actor, his name was MacReady. How he captivated the people. And he asked... This, this, this English actor, this evangelist says, you know, how do you, how do you uh, communicate what you communicate and, and people listen to you? And McReady's answer was very simple. He goes, I can tell you the difference between us. He goes, I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. And that's what people do when they've lost their first love. Because all they do is they recall the experience and what they know, but it's not real. And it's not real. Let's go to verse 6. But this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I won't go into that verse, but let's go to verse 7. He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Everyone in this room, anyone who can understand what's being taught this morning, if you have an ear, understand. To him that overcomes, he that is able to go back to where they had fallen and start again from there, renewing their love, their passion. To them who overcome will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. If you're not there, you're not overcoming. This is a challenge, one of the challenges to the church of Ephesus, like many challenges to the other churches, but this one here to the church of Ephesus for you to overcome, you need to go back to where you had fallen. You need to repent. Repent means stop. Turn around and go back. Let's bow our heads in prayer. This is just as much a message for me than it is for any of you in this room. Our hearts can easily be divided. Our hearts can easily be divided by the things that we love. 
But the good thing is this, is that the Word of God is a two-edged sword. His Holy Spirit moves and just speaks to our hearts and He speaks to our lives. And if there's anyone who has an ear this morning, you come before the Lord and say, Lord, look, this is what you've spoken to me about. I need to stop. And I need to go back. And you can leave this room this morning with your first love. That's up to you. You can leave this room this morning with your first love. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, if you, if you listen to Him, I'm telling you, you'll be blessed. And what causes you not to listen to Him is that you think that you're going to be blessed in other ways, but that's a lie. Your blessing comes from heeding the Word of God. And if He's calling you and He's talking to you and He's saying, come to me, leave everything, repent, come back to your first love. Don't make it religiousness, don't make it ritualistic. You know, don't, don't do a checklist of when you attend church, don't attend church, and like, like the Pharisees. Don't you want to be infused and full of, of the, the passion of Christ? Let that be your motivation, your drive. Ask of Him for the fire in your heart. Ask of Him and He'll give it to you. But, I, but he'll ask you to love him more than life itself. Father, we ask you that you would forgive us of our sins and unrighteousness and those things that creep into our life that we lose the passion and drive and that you may refresh us, Lord God, renew us, Lord God, once again, cleanse us, Lord God, and purify us, Lord Jesus Christ, and set us on a good ground, Father, as we leave this place. We confess you as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the one who is able to break all chains. I pray, Father, for this morning, for your word. I pray, Father, that uh, we are reminded of this truth throughout the week and the confirmation, Lord God, of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that reminds us again that you, you have heard us. Let your word go out. Declare yourself strong, Father, through your act and your performance of those things that we've put at your feet, that you may demonstrate yourself, our God and our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.